And so I'm going to make a statement of the obvious today. You're going to go, I came all the way to Eagle Bible to hear that. (laughs) Here's the subject of my sermon. We must go on mission for God. I know, I know you're thinking, you're brilliant. I mean, but it's the obvious. And we cannot state it enough. We, the church, must go leaving this gym, leaving this building, leaving our homes, and we must go on mission with a purpose, with God's message. And so today you're going to see the mission of God. You're going to see it biblically, and then you're going to see the message of God. And so if you're at the book of Acts chapter 13, we're going to dive right in. In verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was also called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menanean, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. What we have here is you have a white guy, you have a black guy, you have a politician, and you have one who is just knee-deep in religion. And they're all at the place in Antioch, this cosmopolitan area, and they were gathered together. And if you look back in chapter 11, this is when they're first called Christians because what unites these different people is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what were they doing? Verse 2, they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. And the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. I want to make a few comments about these verses. Number one, you you see in fasting, fasting today, by the way, um, I'm sure those of you who are physical fitness trained know that fasting, the new hip and trendy thing is intermittent fasting to try to get you to lose weight. But that's not why they're fasting here. They're fasting here for two reasons, to celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ and to confirm the sending out of missionaries. It is not something hip and trendy in a way to lose weight. What you see from these verses are three things. Number one, you see that the mission of God begins with God. The Holy Spirit said. And the local church affirms the mission of God. It says, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. They is the church. The church sent them out. How does this relate to missionaries? I believe, and I firmly believe, the biblical pattern is that we should be sent out from the local church. I don't see any other pattern in Scripture. If you don't have a backing of the local church that gets to see what you do in your daily life, you probably haven't been called to that work. I know that doesn't sit well in America, but individuals going on mission apart from the local church is more American than it is Christian. A church should affirm you. A church should support you. You see that right there in the beginning of Acts, and you don't see it any other way in the Scriptures. And so in verse 4, being sent out, by the Holy Spirit, as affirmed by the church, they went down to Seleucia. From there, they sailed to Cyprus. Why would they go to Cyprus? Well, if you go back to Acts 4.36, it's not up there, but you can hear it. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. 
He had connections. I've got friends back there. Let's go there. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And here, as often as the Lord has been doing in my life lately, he's showing me phrases, sentences that I've read before, but just overlooked. I love the end of verse 5. And they had John, that is John Mark, not John the Apostle, to assist them. I think Luke wants to show that John Mark was important. And he was there to assist them. Yesterday on the way home in the plane, you read those magazines that advertise all sorts of things. But in there was an interesting ad. It was for a book out called The Invisibles, The Power of Anonymous Work in an age of relentless self-promotion. And I thought, how sovereign to come across that ad while preparing for this sermon on the plane. And they had John, they had John to assist them. Friends, beloved, don't ever think that your work in assisting others is overlooked. It's embedded in Scripture forever. His word shall not pass away. And they had John Mark to assist him. They proclaimed the gospel, the word of God, and they had assistance. Every single one of us needs help. And if you are a helper, if you're one who assists, oh, understand, that is a wonderful, godly, biblical, exalted position. Verse 6. On through the whole island, as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. And so this Bar-Jesus is also named Eliamus, and he's with the proconsul. The proconsul in those days was a Roman official who was over a certain state area of Rome that didn't need military assistance. So here's a politician, and he seeks to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for that was the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Now watch what Paul does. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered for the work, looked intently at him. Have you ever had someone look intently at you? You know that look. You know that look. They're looking intently. And you know something's about ready to be said that's straight from the Lord. And he looked intently at him and said, Paul's words, he used these in Ephesians 2, he used them in Romans 5. You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Can God's judgment be immediate? Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. A couple of things you see from this paragraph. Number one, it's similar to Peter early on in his ministry. He had to face false prophets and you see the power of the Lord. They're on the same mission with the same supreme God. They will encounter opposition. But in the midst of this bold opposition, you see the bold proclamation of the truth. What's the result of this? Verse 12. 
Then the proconsul believed, and when he saw all that had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. I want to show you this again. What was he astonished at? He was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. He wasn't astonished by a miracle. He was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Question, are we astonished at the teaching of the Lord? Do we stand astonished when we read this? Are we astonished or we're like, yeah, I've read that before. Do we read it and see, and John Mark assisted them? Wow. Are we astonished at that? And do we communicate boldly to those who would oppose us? And so there is, in 1 through 12, just a summary of the mission. And here's kind of a, if you were to kind of capture it in three phrases, here it is. You see the affirmed mission. You never see, and even when Philip went out on his own, he was sent by the Holy Spirit, and he reported back to the church. You never see anyone going out on their own. There's this affirmed mission. We're called together. We're in ecclesia. We're called out together. We go together. Now, we may go individually, but we are affirmed in our mission. And you see this bold proclamation. It wasn't timid. It wasn't, you know, I I may get a chance to speak. They looked intently at them, and they spoke the word of God. And how timely is this? You get a converted politician. I like it. There's the mission. We go on mission. We proclaim the gospel, and people are converted. That sets the context. It's kind of a big summary of the mission of God. Now, what are we to go with? What did Paul go with? Well, you see that in 13 through the rest of the chapter, you're going to see one of Paul's first sermons. And you're going to see uh, how he preached, and you're going to see the result of his preaching. And so here's the setting in verse 13. And now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. A little foreshadowing. This is John Mark. We're going to encounter him again at the end of chapter 15 when Paul and Barnabas separate. More on that in a few weeks. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue. The synagogue sent a message and sat down. And so they go in. They're polite. They don't... uh, bully their way in, they go in what's already established and they sit down. And after reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any words of encouragement for the people, say it. Now, imagine this. Put it in today's day and age. One of us were to go up valley to a Jewish synagogue to come in and have a seat. We're listening to the law and the prophets. And then it is told, friend, do you have any word to say? What would you do? I'm here to show you. Here's what you would do. Paul is going to, now we here we do verse by verse exposition. I think it's the simplest. It's the safest way to preach. Paul, you know, he's, he, was, he saw Jesus, so he took some liberties. He did big sweeping text moves here. You're going to see Genesis and Exodus. You're going to see Numbers. You're going to see Joshua and Judges, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. Watch this. So Paul said in verse 16, He stood up and motioning with his hands, men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. 
It's very Charles Stanley of him. Listen to me. And so he stands up and he says, and he knows his audience, men of Israel and you who fear God. He knew exactly who he was talking to. Knowing that they are familiar with the Old Testament, watch what he does. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. That is Genesis. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. That is Exodus. And about 40 years, he put them up in the wilderness. That is Numbers. By the way, they didn't have to go but like two miles, and they wandered for 40 years because they were disobedient. And in 19, after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. There's Joshua and Judges. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them Judges until Samuel the prophet. Verse 21, then they asked for a king, First Samuel, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. Here's Paul. He said, hey, do you have anything to say? And he says, Sure. Let me just recite to you biblical history. Then verse 22, And when they had removed them, he raised up David to be their king, 2 Samuel, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David a son of Jephthah, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. So he gives them this sweeping biblical history. They're tracking right along with him. They're like, this guy's good. I wonder if he's going to break into the prophets, maybe some of the Psalms. I'd love to see how he handles Song of Solomon. I mean, he's just walking right through it. And then, bam, 23. If you were seeing the old Batman shows, this would have been bam, that, the big kapow. Of this man's offspring, of David's offspring, God has brought forth a save, to Israel a Savior. And who does he say? Jesus, as he promised. Now, how do you think they're taking this. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me, one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. And so he goes from biblical theology or biblical history to biblical theology. And just like Peter, who preached from the Old Testament, In Acts chapter 2, so Paul takes the Old Testament to his people and connects it to Jesus. Verse 26, brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, he's appealing to them now. And those among you who fear God, to us has been given, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. To us, to the Jew first. Remember Paul says in Rome, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He says, to us has been sent the message of salvation. Remember in Romans 10, my heart yearns for his own people, for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him or understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. This is amazing if you think about this. It was hip and trendy a couple years ago for uh, pastors to go read the Mishnah and say, we can't really understand the Old Testament apart from the Jewish writings. Paul didn't do that. You and I have the mind of Christ. We don't need some Jewish commentary to understand the Old Testament writings. We have the mind of Christ. And just like Paul, we can make the connections to Jesus. And though they found him in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. 
And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who were now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers. And so you see Paul sweep through the Old Testament. He sweeps through the Gospels for us. Gospels, some of the Gospels weren't written at that time. He sweeps through the Gospels and even into the book of Acts. So here you get biblical history, biblical theology, all connecting it to Jesus. Verse 33, he's going to make three more connections to the Old Testament. This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second Psalm. He's saying, you want proof? Do you want proof of this Jesus who rose? Go back to the word. Go back to Psalm 2. You are my son today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken in this way, Isaiah 55. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another Psalm, Psalm 16. By the way, did anybody enjoy that exposition of Psalm 16 in the weekly last week? You will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. So Paul said, you see in Psalm 16, it's making a prophecy of someone other than David. But he whom God raised did not see corruption. This is the Jesus. This is the one we were talking about. And now he goes from Old Testament exposition to a gospel connection. Now he makes a personal application. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. That is a great verse. We live in America, the the country of freedom. And Paul's saying here, freedom, true freedom, comes through Jesus Christ. Everyone who believes in him is freed from everything. No more condemnation. Are you free, brothers and sisters? Do you feel free? Do you live free? Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. And so Paul here gives us, those of you who are being trained in compass, here is a simple, simple sermon method. Biblical exposition, gospel connection, personal application. It doesn't need to get more complicated than that. This right here is a pulpit. It's not a podium. It's not for me to stand up here and wax eloquent about whatever. It is a pulpit from which we open the Word of God. We walk through the Word of God. We connect that Word to the Word of God, the living Word of God. And then we say, here's how this applies to our life. It's not that difficult. Yet I have brothers, God love them, and when you say that, then you can you can gently correct them. They want to get up here and get fancy. Let me give you 42 things about nothing. Who cares? You couldn't live out 42 things. You couldn't live out seven. Let me preach to your heart. Let me show you Jesus. This is a pulpit. 
This is not a podium. This is where we take the truth, we open it, and then we, even myself, sit here and go, wow, astonishing. And so there are some mixed reactions to this. This is where it gets good. Watch what happens after the word is preached. As they went out, verse 32, 42, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. I would retire early if I walked out that door and like all of you were like, Do you, we, can we come back tonight? I mean, if not, I'm, man, we're be- will you please just, we want to hear that word. I would, I would, I would say I'm done. This is great. And that's right. They begged him. I haven't ever been begged once. I would, I, that would be awesome. They're like, please don't come back. No, I mean, they were saying, come. And like, where you just, you showed us from Psalm 16. Isaiah 55, you opened to us Psalm 2 and you walked through, like you just stood up and you didn't even have like scrolls. You just, you just gave us the whole Old Testament. And after meeting of the synagogue, they broke up. Many Jews and devout converts of Judaism followed Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. There was this curiosity, there was conversion, there was this joy among the people. Yet, in 44, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered. That would be cool. Like, we got a greeters out there like, we need. can you go make more copies of the worship guide? Because the whole city's here. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. And so you get some who were filled with curiosity, some who were filled with jealousy, and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. You want to preach the Word of God? Be ready to be reviled. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly. They didn't cower. Here's what they said. It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Jesus even said, I go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Since you thrust it aside, you thrust the word of God aside. Catch that. That the word of God be spoken to you first, and you thrust it Neutral, that is, he's referred to the Word of God, and you and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Your personal responsibility, you said you're not worthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, and he quotes the Old Testament again, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvations to the ends of the earth. And then it comes to one of the most important verses in the whole book, in the whole Bible. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying again and again and again. You see it here, the word of the Lord. And here's the most important phrase you can see. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Let me highlight that for you. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. It does not say, Very clear here. And as many believed, then they were appointed to eternal life. Do you see the difference? Let me just read to you what one of my favorite commentators, John Stott, says. 
Those who responded to the word of the Lord and believed are described as having been appointed for eternal life. Some commentators offended by what they they regard as an extreme predestinarian phrase have tried in various ways to soften it. But the Greek word tasso means to ordain, sometimes in the, in the sense to assign someone to a certain classification. F.F. F. Bruce refers to the papyrus evidence means to enroll, in which case it would be a reference to the book of life. That many who were written in the book of life believed. Certainly those, catch this, certainly those who have believed in Jesus and received eternal life from him all ascribe the credit to God's grace, not their own merit. We just sang about it. By grace and grace alone. Did you mean that song when you sang it? I, I don't look back on my life and go, man, I was such a good guy, and then all of a sudden, I, I, was, I just read enough, and I was smarter than most people and got it. I have someone sitting here today who's known me for 40 terrific years. And she would say, no, that's not how it happened. You were a scallywag. You were this. And she would probably say that too. But by grace and grace alone, something changed in you. You didn't have anything to do with it. As many who were appointed to eternal life, they believed. They responded to the word of God. We'll skip verse 49 for a minute. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city and stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. Again, you have conversion, you have persecution. Did that stop Paul and Barnabas? No, 51, but they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. They were steadfast and What is the result of this? The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. That same Spirit who came down in Acts chapter 2 filled these Gentiles in Acts chapter 13, and we've been giving the same message for some 2,000 years. And if you're here today and you know the Lord Jesus Christ, by grace and grace alone, you have that same joy and that same Spirit. Amen? Ben, I did skip that one. Go back to right there. Thank you. My theologian wife pointed this out to me this week. This is perhaps one of the greatest quotes outside of Scripture I've ever read. Hell is full of people who think they deserve heaven. Heaven is full of people who know they deserve it. Just sit with that for a second. As many who was appointed to eternal life, they believe. When I get to heaven, I'm not reading a resume. I'm just saying thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So what are we to do with this? I skipped a verse on purpose. In the midst of conversions and persecution, joy and steadfastness in the word of the Lord for the fifth time in this chapter was spreading throughout the whole region. Often Luke uses kind of 
he, he, he uses the, the anthropomorphism here. The word of the Lord was spreading as if the word of the Lord had legs and was running throughout the region. But his point is, this gospel was going out. So here's my encouragement, my missional challenge to you. Just like Paul, know who you're witnessing to. There's a time and there's a place to bust out the scriptures and just give them the story. We'll see in Acts 17, his approach is a little different. But in each one, they're always connecting people to Jesus. You want the quickest way to get the topic on the table? People come at you with the Trinity. They come at you with the Bible. Tell me about Jesus. What do you think about Jesus? Just talk about Jesus. And you can expect two responses. You will have the curious, joyful believer. There will be some who will beg you, can you tell me more? I remember there was a girl in this congregation who said there was a girl at her work. Well, you just tell me more about the Bible? That's cool. I remember sitting at Yeti's, and a yoga instructor came up to me. I just want to learn more about the Bible. I do. I can, I can answer that for you. I can even... And downward dog or pigeon, we can, I mean, it's, we can talk about the Bible. Those who have done yoga, got that. The rest of you are like, what's that? It's no big deal. Connect them to Jesus. They'll be curious. They'll be joyful. They'll be believing. Or you'll get those who are jealous, hateful, and unbelieving. That is the simple message. We must know where we're going. We must connect them to Jesus. And just be expectant. I don't want to give you a, a pie-in-the-sky view that the first time you share the gospel, people are just going to be going, I want a Bible, I want to go to church, I want to tithe. What else can I do? That would be great. And I've seen it happen. I've, I've, we've seen it happen, haven't we? Low-hanging fruit. They just, they're right there. Well, I, I just want to follow Jesus. Really? Yeah. Like, commit your life to Christ and, and trust in him, and no matter what you, yeah, that's 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 awesome. I got a text last summer. <laughs> this is the greatest. If you're if you're a pastor or counselor, this is the greatest text you want to receive. We were texting, and he, she, I'll leave it. Someone said, "I figured it out by grace and grace alone. I'm the problem." I need Jesus. I'm like, that is the greatest thing ever. How may I help you? I am the problem. Right? In my personal life, I am the problem. And once you acknowledge that, your joy, you're like, wow, Jesus really does come in and he changes things. Your spirit really does take residence in your heart. The Bible is really astonishing. It really is. All of it. Even Ezekiel. The first chapter is amazing. Know who you're going to. Connect them to Jesus. Expect two responses.